I really struggle for some time as to what I'm going to say and what I'm going to speak on. Uh, so there are so many messages. In fact, you can take from uh, Luke 23, from this chapter, from the trial of the Lord to his crucifixion to his burial. So many things that you could take from this passage that was just read. However, one phrase that was uttered by the Lord uh, stood out for me. And, and for that reason, I had decided to title this message, Father, Forgive Them. Father, forgive them. So with that, let us just read a couple of verses, uh, verses 32 to 34 from Luke uh, 23, where it says, There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be, to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the one and the other on the left and then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Now, when the Lord uttered these words, Father, forgive them, I, I asked myself the question, to whom was the Lord referring to? Father, forgive them. Well, there were several groups of people that the Lord was referring to. First, he was referring to the rulers, the chief priests, the members of the council, the council of leaders, the Jewish leaders, who blasphemed the Lord and outrightly rejected him. So that was the first group of people the Lord was referring to. Now when you look at the entire trial that resulted in the crucifixion of the Lord, it was actually a sham. It was an illegal trial. Um, in fact, this was a uh, passage that, uh, that Kanda wanted to speak on, the illegal trial of the Lord. You can see from these verses that we just read that the Lord was arrested without any charge. In fact, Judas Iscariot was bribed to betray the Lord. The Lord was arrested in the night and there were no charges. Without any charges, the Lord was arrested. So that was illegal in the first place or in the first instance. In the modern courts, it would have been... Uh, uh, a, dismiss, a dismissal, right? a trial or mistrial as they say. We also see that the trial took place first at the house of Ananias. He was a father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas and then it moved to Caiaphas's house. Now this was done in the night and the Jewish trial happened before sunrise. Now this also was illegal. It was not legal in the eyes of the, the Jewish courts for a trial to be held in the evening, in the night, before sunrise. Why? Well, because there was no opportunity for any supporting witnesses to come forth. And in my opinion, if you read through this, you could see that it was not possible for people like Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night? People like Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea that we read from this passage, who were council members, but who supported the Lord. For such people to come forth, come forward and vote against uh, the trial that took place. No opportunity for such people to come, to, come, uh, to come forth. And here, it was illegal. Then the trial was also held before the annual Sabbath, which was the 14th Abib. Right? And if you look at the, the Jewish courts, no trial, especially trial involving capital punishment, ever took place before the annual Sabbath. Right? So it was illegal in that sense. The chief priest and the council acted as both the judge and the jury. Now, that itself was wrong. 
They brought the charges themselves. We read in Mark chapter 14, verse 63, that the high priest tore his garments. Uh, that was illegal. He was not supposed to do that. Right? The high priest was not supposed to act as both the judge and the jury to sway the council. So that was also illegal. And finally, you can see they switched the charges from being a religiously motivated one to a political one when they brought the Lord before Pilate. So the charge became one of treason, one of rebellion against the Roman rule. Right? So to this group of rulers, to this group of council members, the Lord, to this group of blasphemers and rejected, what did the Lord say? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He was also referring to the Roman soldiers involved in the crucifixion. The one who carried out the orders of Pilate. Now, you must understand that these Roman soldiers had no choice but to carry out the orders. If they do not, well, that means the head, is the head was gone. So they carried out the orders of Pilate. However, we can see that they too joined the Jewish rulers in mocking the Lord, where they said, you are, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And of course, out of these Roman soldiers, the centurion who led the crucifixion finally realized who the Lord was. When he saw the darkness happening from 12 noon to 3 p.m. and the earthquake when the Lord finally breathed his last, and this is what the centurion said, truly, this was a righteous man. So to this group of cruel Roman soldiers who carried out the orders of Pilate and crucified the Lord, what did the Lord say to them? Father, forgive them. That's what the Lord said. Father, forgive them. The Lord was also referring to the multitudes, the curious onlookers who came to witness the crucifixion. Now, I had the opportunity, I think I mentioned some time ago, of, of visiting Jerusalem. And when you walk through the ancient city of Jerusalem, walk through the ancient city, at one particular spot, when you look across the wall and see the and if you look across the wall, and you could see the crosses that was lifted up on Golgotha, right? And that's that you could see that. So when you walk across the ancient uh, city, look across the wall, and you can imagine the crosses, right? That was planted on top of Golgotha. It was almost a shouting distance away. And many say that it was deliberately placed by the Roman soldiers, by the Romans there in order to discourage further revolt and rebellion. And what were these curious onlookers doing? Few days ago, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They are the ones who are shouting. But now, what were they doing? No protest at all. No objection to their proclaimed Messiah being nailed on the cross. So to these onlookers, the Lord said, Father, forgive them. The Lord also referred to the two thieves that we see, one nail on his right hand and one nail on his left. And being crucified, by being crucified with the two thieves, in fact, you could see in the scriptures that the prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 12, was fulfilled, where the prophecy says that he was numbered with the transgressors. So to these two thieves, the Lord said, Father, forgive them. Now, what is the point I'm trying to make? Now, when the Lord was crucified and shed his blood on the cross, the forgiveness of sin was made available to whom? To everyone. 
And that's what happened. It was made available to everyone. It was made available to the blasphemers, to the rejectors, to the cruel Roman soldiers, to the curious and indifferent onlookers, to the thieves. And the question is, what do we do with the offer of forgiveness that was made available on the cross? Now, one thing that we could understand is very clear is this. Forgiveness can be offered. However, the relationship can only be restored unless it is personally accepted. Right? Forgiveness can be offered to everyone. Let me say this again. Relationship can only be restored unless the person who has done the wrong acknowledges his or her own fault and receives the forgiveness that is given. Now, just imagine if you forgive someone who has done you wrong, but that person rejects that offer, is the relationship restored? Not at all. Not at all. So when the, fa when the Lord uttered the words, Father, forgive them, forgiveness was freely given to all of these groups. Freely given. However, as I said, the relationship is only restored upon a personal decision made by the individual whether to accept or reject the offer of forgiveness, the offer of salvation. So amongst these, all these groups of people that was present at the crucifixion, there was only one who made that personal decision. Just only one. Who was that? The thief on the cross. Only one who made the personal decision. And in verses 41 and 42, this is what the thief on the cross says. And indeed, we justly, for we receive the due rewards for our deeds. But this man, the Lord, has done nothing wrong. So then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. So thief on the cross recognized that he was a sinner. The thief on the cross recognized that the Lord was righteous. The thief on the cross recognized that the Lord was the Messiah. He was the Messiah and was able to save. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. All it took was a personal decision. A decision to acknowledge his sin, to acknowledge that the Lord is the only Messiah or the only answer to the situation that he was in. Now let me tell this to you. I might be preaching to the already converted to the already saved who are seated here. However, as Kanda always said, there might be someone who is seated here who is also lost in the pews or lost in the church. Now, it's no good to be the centurion. The centurion looked at the Lord and acknowledged that he was a righteous man. It's no good to be just a centurion who glorified God and said this was indeed the righteous man. It's no good to be in the curious onlookers. What happened to them? Well, they beat their breasts. After seeing all of these things, they beat their breasts, seeing what was done to such a righteous person. However, like the thief on the cross, you've got to make that personal, personal decision. A decision to offer or a decision regarding the offer of forgiveness that the Lord made on the cross. Now, one thing I'd like to mention is this. Once the Lord or once a thief made that personal decision, the Lord said in verse 43, now verse 43 is interesting. This is what the Lord said. Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Assuredly, I say to you, 
today you will be with me in paradise. Now, William Barclay said, this is what he says, that the word paradise is actually a Persian word, which means a walled garden. That's what he said. Paradise means a walled garden. It's a Persian word. So when the king's subject, or when a subject pleases the king, as a very special honor, the king would make the subject companion of the garden. That's what this, uh, the king would do. Make that subject companion of the garden, and that person was chosen, therefore, to walk the royal garden with the king. That's what the word paradise means. right? So he was... He or she, whoever the subject was, who pleased the king, was therefore chosen to walk the royal garden with the king. The Lord offered the repentant thief not only eternal life, but also the very special honor and privilege of walking the courts of heaven with him. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. So this morning... When we come before the Lord's table, let us remember the free gift of salvation, the forgiveness that was made available to all. Right? But to us who have personally made that decision to accept that free gift of salvation, we can worship the Lord for that heavenly privilege, not only to be with Him throughout all eternity, but also to walk the royal course with Him the personal relationship that we have with the Lord. So, when I read these passages, that was one verse that struck me. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. A gift that was given to all, the gift of salvation, forgiveness that was made available to all, but to those like the thief who personally accept it, the Lord would say from today, you shall be with me in paradise. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this uh, privilege that we have. For those of us who have truly accepted the Lord into our hearts as our own personal Lord and Savior. Father God, the privilege of being with you. The privilege, O Lord, of an in heavenly inheritance. The privilege, Father, that throughout all eternity that we would walk in paradise with you. And what a wonderful privilege that we have in and through our Lord Jesus Christ, through what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary. So, Father, as we go, as we continue this worship, and as we remember the Lord through the breaking of the bread and through the sharing of the cup, help us, O Lord God, to worship you with our hearts, with our soul, and with our mind. The Savior is precious in his worthy and matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen.